back to Monster Kid Radio, gang. This is Derek M. Cook, and this is episode number six. This is part two of our conversation with Devin Devereaux about the movie The Fly. We're going to talk a little bit about the sequels, the franchise, the remakes, just a touch. And because I'm always looking for a way to work it in, we're going to talk a little bit about how there might be some Lovecraftian elements in the original film. We'll talk a little bit about that in this discussion. Again, you can find out more about Devin Devereaux over at his website, at devindevereaux.com. And remember, he's got an art show going on right now as we speak at the Peculiarium here in Portland, Oregon. You can find out more about that at thepeculiarium.com. All the links to this will be in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, where you can also find our contact information, like our email address, monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or our voicemail line, 503-479-5MKR. I'd like to do a feedback episode in the future, so if you guys have any feedback or whatever, please feel free to send it on in, and we'll see what happens. Of course, you can get some more immediate response to any feedback you might have over in our Facebook group. You can look us up over on Facebook. Just do a search. We've got a group and a page over there. Again, appearing by permission, is the band Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. The song that we used to open the show was Unforgettable Skull Deformation from their album Five After Midnight. You'll hear that song in its entirety at the end of the episode. You can find out more about Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion over at ghostscorpion.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook. We'll get back to our conversation with Devin Devereaux right after this. Tired of going to the lame comic cons and sitting around with smelly, moldy comic book boxes and the odor of really creepy cosplayers? Well, you don't have to go there anymore. Connecticut Comic Con with two ends is back on August 24th, 2013 at the Marriott Hotel in Trumbull, Connecticut. Join us at Connecticut Comic Con and be part of the coolest con in the entire Northeast. Toys, collectibles, sci-fi, cosplay contest, all at Connecticut Comic Con! August 24th, Trumbull Marriott has an all-star lineup of comic creators. Mark Bagley, Ron Garner, Tom Palmer, Billy Tucci, Chris Giarusso, Joe State, Tom DeFalco, and many more surprises. From stormtroopers to Batmobiles, bat cycles to land speeders, they'll all be there at Connecticut Comic Con, August 24th, Trumbull Marriott. Looking for that rare action figure? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Looking for that comic book to complete your collection? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Want a piece of original artwork to hang on the wall? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Want to dress up and hang out with your cosplaying friends? You'll find it where? At Connecticut Comic Con. Connecticut Comic Con. It is your destiny. So join us and be part of the fun at Connecticut Comic Con, Saturday, August 24th, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Marriott Hotel in lovely Trumbull, Connecticut. More details can be found at www.comiccon.com. Join us. It's sure to be another crowd pleaser. Connecticut Comic Con! So let's get back to the characters. You know, we got, sure. you know, it is Helene's story. And there is some real drama happening here. Like I said, I didn't necessarily pick up on the potential relationship between Helene and Francois. 
now that I watch it again, I'm going to be watching for those cues and those those connections. And obviously, Helene you know, views Francois very favorably because she calls him. She doesn't call anybody else yeah. when what happens happens. Yeah. Uh, and, and more than once. I mean, not just at the very beginning of the film when Andre's been – or the Andre Fly thing has been crushed. But there's something like where Vincent Price's character, his, uh, his servant or maid or butler, I can't remember what it was, came into the room and – and he said, he, and they said, you're in love with you, aren't, aren't you? And, and he says, oh, yeah, but she married my brother. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I was just blinking at that time or refilling my coffee. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's in there, though, definitely, is uh, literal and, uh, and just how they interact in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That said, what did you think about the relationship between Francois and his brother, between Francois and Andre? It almost seemed non-existent. I mean, any, they, well, they had really no interaction while the two were alive like i don't think that those two characters really did they have any scenes together very rarely if any she brings them down to the lab when once they go to the flashback sequence it's andre and helene and the son and there's a good 40 minutes to go by and i think they call vincent price once and then it's not till the end of the movie where he starts sharing scenes again after the brothers died so it, it seemed like the relationship was almost non-existent and maybe they did that on purpose. They, you know, they intentionally separated the, the brothers so that you want, I don't know that you want Vincent Price's character to be with, with Helena at the end of the film. I'm not sure. Yeah. Cause they do bring him down to the lab the one time and he's all excited because he's only been in the lab what three times. Mm-hmm. He's never been able to see what his brother's been working on and they get to the lab and there's a note on the door denied. You can't come in. You know, he doesn't even get to go in that time. So, but Francois has been around enough for Philippe to, you know, have a relationship with him, the, their son. Right. You know, uh, so much so that when Uncle Francois tells him to do something, he does it. Mm-hmm. You know, go inside, get away from this spider web with your dad fly thing. <laughs> you don't need to see this, you know, go inside. And I, th- I thought that was a really cool plot device, just how they introduced the flies into the movie and her obsession with this fly. And, and at the beginning of the movie, you're, you're thinking, why should I care about this woman? Why is she going crazy just because of a house fly, which seems to be the source of her madness. You bring up madness. And at the very beginning of this, before we started recording for the show, you mentioned how you and I have been kind of traveling in the same circles here in Portland for probably years and just never really connected. You mentioned one of the places we've probably seen each other. It's the Lovecraft Film Festival. Yes. At the very end of this movie, when they have to destroy the fly creature, and I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because I want to talk about that too, but when they have to des- when they destroy the fly creature, and I don't know if they had to, well, I don't know what their options really would have been, I guess. So they had to destroy the fly creature and the spider. Yeah. There's a moment where Vincent Price, where Francois and the inspector – it's like they're scrambling around for their reality to make sense again. Something mm-hmm. just broke inside them, and they right. don't quite know yeah. what they saw. And I felt, you know, we're, we're getting maybe a little Lovecraftian here, just a touch, <laughs> just a touch. Sure. Maybe it's a reach because I love Lovecraft, but I just, I liked that. <laughs> yeah, no, that would, I'm, uh, I'm sure. I mean, any kind of horror after uh, Lovecraft had his day, I'm sure anything was somewhat inspired by lovecraft i think he's kind of touched anybody that creates horror at one point or another so why not yeah to to put it in role-playing game terms they lost a sanity point or two that day (laughs) (laughs) right as far as a little fly creature human hybrid i liked that a lot i thought it looked really good that 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 scene 
was creepier than any other Fly sequel, remake, or sequel to the remake, or anything. Like, that one scene, the Help Me Help Me scene, is creepier than anything in the the Cronenberg film. Really? You think so? I think so. To me, yeah. How so? Well, I'm always I'm always ready for the for the Cronenberg movie. I'm always ready for the creepiness. It's there's something and also maybe it's because I saw the fly when I was really, really young, maybe when I was like five or six, and just that scene just imprinted on me at a very early age. And and as I was watching it again last night, I really I honestly got chills and I got goosebumps when I uh when I saw that. And I had so much more sympathy for that weird messed up fly thing than I did for uh, the Goldblum character. Yeah. The, the Andre was, I mean, he's, st- his, his life is never going, there's nothing he can go back to. Well, yeah. once you become a little fly thing, <laughs> I mean, obviously that makes sense that you can't go back to, to normalcy, but I mean, he's there, he's yelling, help me. I don't know if he was aware that his brother was there with you know, watching it happen. The spiders coming in for him. It is a pretty, I mean, sad moment. Like, oh this yeah. Is what this character's life has become through his own action or I just, man, it's, it's pretty gripping. Well, I was to say that line that helped me, help me, uh, that made it onto AFI's 100 years in the movies. Uh, one of the best 100 <laughs> saw, movie quotes, <laughs> I saw that. which I, I find a little silly, but man, I still like it. You know, I'm glad it's there. Cause it really is well, just a creepy moment out of context. I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense, but no, well, really, I mean, that's the thing is people say that, you know, the help me, help me. But then people say, where's that from? I, I know that line, but why do I, why am I saying that? And that was his voice. That was Hedison's voice. He just kind of sped it up a little bit. So it was him all the way. I, I'm assuming he's wearing the fly mask again. So it was him all the way through the film, which again, I really appreciated that they were able to find an actor who was able to emote through the fly makeup and was able to, even though he's this little tiny thing and he looks a little ridiculous out of context, you still felt for the guy. What do you think happened to the human brain? Because it seemed like the human brain was in the fly, but with fly tendencies taking over the human body. And then when the fly with the human head and the human arm was in the spider web that also seemed to have a human brain being able to articulate, help me, help me. What do you, I mean, what do you think? Where, which one had the fly brain, which one had the human brain or did they both get it split up 50, 50, you know, and that's one of the the more creepy moments or, or things about this movie is you're trying to figure out, you know, he's, Obviously got feelings for Helene as the man fly, the, the fly man, excuse me, as, as the full-size figure. He's typing to her. He's communicating to her. He knows what she is. He knows what he has to do. He makes some very human choices. But then we see the little guy in the web, and it's it's clearly him. What's your thought on it? Because it really is something I don't know, to think was, about. It was, that, it was something that hadn't occurred to me, and it's something that's not very clear. The human body with the fly head and the, and the fly arm it seemed like it was he was definitely fighting himself it was something controlling the fly arm so it's it's like the human arm and the fly arm were fighting its each other fighting itself basically and and at the end it was it was like he was turning into the fly more kind of like the Jeff Goldblum movie it was the longer it existed the more fly like it became and there was something more dominant about the insect brain than the human brain and maybe that's the story of the film for, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, you could really kind of get into the, you know, where is the brain? Where is the soul? What part of the body really controls our emotions and our, our intellect and that sort of thing. And it, it really can get 
pretty heady mm-hmm. if you let it. I mean, it's a good monster movie, but it's got more than that going for it. Yeah, because of those yeah. questions that you just brought up. Works on a lot, a lot of different levels. It's, I'm sorry, it has the nod to the Lovecraft way of thinking, and it's a horror film. It's a sci-fi film. It's a, it's a murder mystery. It works on a lot of different levels. Well, I can find Lovecraft in almost anything, but in this case, I think it's legitimate. <laughs> Definitely. You know, it, it does have that a scientist looked in the wrong place, did the wrong thing, tried to find something he shouldn't have found out. And well, even the part when you talked about with the cat, and they, they talked about it, it, the, you know, there's a little bit of cosmic horror there when the cat disappears and turns into cat atoms out in the the ether, as he explained it in the film. I was ready, and I forgotten that that is what would happen to the cat. So I was ready for the rest of the film for there to be that distant echoey meow just in the background every once in a while yeah <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you saw this when you were a kid Do you remember like when you first saw it and what the circumstances were i mean when i was a kid i grew up in michigan and we had what was called the saturday afternoon shocker and it was a little bit after the time of the horror hosts and you know because every city had its own type of horror host like Elvira or Goulardi. Right. Uh, we had the ghoul in Detroit and Southeast Michigan, but I was born in the late seventies. So I was kind of on the tail end of all that. But yeah, the Saturday afternoon shocker, just every Saturday afternoon, they would show old classic sci-fi horror films. And, uh, my sister and I would always do that every Saturday and fly was, was one of the ones that came up and I think they showed Amityville and a lot of classic sixties and seventies horror films as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think the first time I saw it was on a DVD release, actually. So I, oh. I came to it a little later than most. I got it in my head that when it came to classic sci-fi, at least when I first started getting into this, I stuck strictly with Universal, you know, the Tarantula, the Deadly Mantis, things like that. I didn't branch out to the other studios, and I really did myself a disservice because, I mean, The Fly is iconic. It's so much in here that you're going to see in other movies that, you know, it pulled from and it had a lasting impact with the Cronenberg film. And it it really does kind of, we're making a pot, we're doing a podcast about it because it's so good. Right. (laughs) You know, it's also a Vincent price film. I mean, Vincent price is a genre unto himself. (laughs) Somebody ought to start the Vincent price podcast. I, I got, (laughs) I have too much on my plate right now, but you know, (laughs) Uh, the other thing that I'll mention real quick, because I'm a soundtrack guy, I collect film scores. You know, I always pay attention to who did the music. This was music by Paul Sautel, who would work with the director, Kurt Newman on a few other projects, as well as uh, a handful of other uh, 50s, 60s sci-fi type stuff, as well as a lot of like westerns and things like that. They, they were pretty popular at the time. I'm a big, I'm finding myself to be a big fan of Paul Sato. If anybody okay. is interested uh, in that kind of music, and you should be, put him on your list. Yeah, I don't know. When I, whenever I think of uh, 50s sci-fi movies, I just think of theremins. You're right. Yeah, the theremin is one of those iconic things you get with like the day they're still and things like that. You know, one of these days I want to learn how to play a theremin. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very cool instrument. My friend Meredith, she's a she's a theremin wizard. Oh wow. Well, she just released an album called The Parlor Trick. She she played theremin for Dresden Dolls and a bunch of other other bands. So Meredith Yanos, definitely check her out. She's a modern day theremin wizard. Uh, what is her last name? Yanos. And she scored a couple horror films too. Cool. All right, I'll have to look into that. Nice. Well, what is there else to say about the movie? I mean, is it something that you're going to go back to and watch again? Are you, are you regretting waiting so long between viewings? No, 
played just just enough time. I, I mean, I, it's probably maybe the third or fourth time I've, I've seen it ever. And uh, it's, it's not a movie you want to watch every day, but it's, you know, definitely give it five or six years between viewings and it, it holds up very well. I would say it, it's funny because the production value on this one was so much higher than the sequels because they did a couple years later, they did... Uh, what was the what was the name of the sequel to it? It was uh, Return of the Fly. Right, Return of the Fly in '59, which was in black and white, lower budget. Yeah, and the curse and the curse of that. Uh huh. But yeah, just uh, you know, the, the sequels were not as good. Nothing as iconic as the uh, the scene at the end. And then in the '80s, they had uh, the Fly, and then they did the remake, or not the remake, but the sequel to the remake. With Eric. Son of <laughs> was it the Fly Two yeah. with the Eric Stoltz? Yeah. yeah. Not not so good. I remember that Fly 2 got played on HBO a lot. <laughs> right. So have yeah. you seen The Return of the Fly or Curse of the Fly? I've seen Return of the Fly because uh, I have the DVD that has both of them on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember it just didn't look that good. I mean, it, I just remember the fly was casually just walking around in a business suit, I think, uh, with the fly head and the fly now. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, why should I care about what's going on? So the story, the, it was lacking in storytelling in every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does pick up. In the, it's the same continuity. It's, it's the grown-up son who now mm-hmm. wants to start doing the t- transportation and wants his uncle to help him out. So that's how you give Vincent Price to turn back up in the movie. But none of these characters appear in The Curse of the Fly, which I've not seen. My understanding is that Curse of the Fly was a British production that made some very weak attempts to connect itself to the previous two films. Okay. But uh, yeah, Return of the Fly, I remember being it's a sequel. They didn't put a lot of money into it. Kind of just coasting. Oh, the one thing I wanted to say about The Sun is, do you recognize him from uh, from any other uh, major horror movies around the time? I feel he, like I should have. He, he played the little boy in 13 Ghosts, William Castle's 13 Ghosts. Oh, there you go. And that's a great film, too. Oh, my God. Yes, that's... I love, love me some William Castle. Oh, yeah. There could be a William Castle podcast. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I would be on that one, too. That's a uh, love, love William Castle. And that was uh, Charles Herbert who played the kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'll have to look into that. I God, I haven't seen 13 Ghosts in forever either. And See, that's one of the reasons I launched this Monster Kid radio, so it'll give me an excuse to go back and you know, well, either buy the DVDs that I don't already have or rewatch what I've already got of these classic well, movies, it, you know? You definitely want to buy the DVD for 13 Ghosts. It comes with a ghost viewer with basically it's you just watch the movie through a blue filter and a red filter. It's the same technology that they used for 3D films in the 1950s and 60s. And you can watch the movie through the blue filter to make the ghosts appear or the red filter to make them disappear if you're too scared to watch the movie with the ghosts in it. (laughs) That was brilliant because that was an effect they used in the movie was – Everybody had the special glasses that they could put on to see the ghosts. And when you're watching the movie, they made it interactive where you can either watch it or make them disappear and you use your own glasses. Exactly. Now, these movies, these like the William Castle, the 50s sci-fi movies, Vincent Price, do these affect your own work now as a creative? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I did a, I did a show of paintings uh, several years back where I was in my biggest dry spell. And I did uh, a whole series of paintings were all in black and white and oil. And that's, that was the same series where you bought the Cthulhu Cadillac piece. And uh, I did a lot of homage to William Castle in those. There's, uh, there's one I did called Down in the Lab that was a uh, direct homage to uh, the house on Haunted Hill with, with Vincent Price. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it's my work is filthy with old uh, William Castle's uh, uh, film and Vincent Price films, Roger Corman, uh, Ed Wood, all that stuff plays directly into any anything that I make in one way or another. <laughs> now, I, I do like that kind of retro pop kind of feel that I've seen in, in your artwork. You know, I love the Cthulhu Cadillac piece. Well, <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about you know how people can find you again. I know we mentioned it at the beginning, but uh, just to kind of wrap up, I want people to be able to find you online. Uh, your website is devondevereaux.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, D-E-V-O-N, D-E-V-E-R-E. AUX.com. It's a funky French name. <laughs> and uh, I have a Facebook page under Devin Devereaux Illustration. I have a podcast. It's the Cackling Imp Podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, if you go to iTunes, you can just type in Cackling Imp, and you can find all of my books as available as digital downloads as well as the podcasts and any other digital media we're going to be releasing. And I know I'm going to be keeping an eye out for Tales of Hot Rod Horror 2. That looks fantastic. I've been kind of following you online, kind of keeping an eye on what's coming, and it just sounds fascinating, man. I love that stuff. Cool. Very cool, man. I'm, I'm so excited about this book. Uh, we have uh, Andy Restaino, who's the lead designer on the Adventure Time cartoon. He did a 24-page comic that just blows my mind. What KRK, Raiden... Rick Geary, David Quinn, a lot of heavy hitters in the horror community. All right, so we will make sure there are links in the show notes and our website to all the things that Devin's got going on. And, you know, as things continue, as you have new releases, new appearances lined up, let us know and we'll make sure the listeners know how to find you. Oh, absolutely. I will definitely harass you when that time comes. <laughs> and <laughs> listeners, if you see Devin, harass him until a Monster Kid Radio sent you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. Hey, thanks, Devin. Big thanks to Devin for joining us here at Monster Kid Radio. Head over to monsterkidradio.net for all the links to everything Devin's involved with. And remember to check out his podcast, the Cackling Imp Podcast. Now, right now, I'm recording in the parking lot at the Joy Cinema Pub here in Tigard, Oregon. Had to come back out here again for another evening of Weird Wednesday. I'm recording this Wednesday night. This show will be going out the following Thursday. Well, tomorrow, after everybody's had a chance to see the werewolf versus the vampire woman at the Joy. Now, I wanted to talk to Jeff because... He's announced a few more titles that will be part of the Weird Wednesday series here at the Joy Cinema. On June 19th, he's showing Wild Guitar. On June 26th, he's showing The Acid Eaters. On July 3rd, he's showing Ega. And on July 10th, he's showing Guess What Happened to Count Dracula. I can tell you that at least one of these movies will be turned into a Monster Kid Radio Crashes event. Stay tuned to find out which one. What's cool about the Weird Wednesday series is that he doesn't charge admission. You only pay for your awesome concessions, beer, popcorn, pizza, nachos, everything you could need to enjoy one of these movies. Now, what is not part of the Weird Wednesday series is an upcoming movie that will definitely be a Monster Kid Radio crash event, Plan 9 from Outer Space, happening at the end of June on the weekend. When I get more specific information, I'll put it online on our website, our Facebook group, and I'll mention it here on the show. This will be a regular show on the weekend, so you do got to buy a ticket to get in. It's going to be awesome. I was talking to Jeff just a few minutes ago at the Joy, and he tells me it's in 3D. It's going to be a lot of fun. I tell you, I mean, it's Plan 9 from Outer Space, for crying out loud. How can you go wrong? With Bella Lugosi, Ed Wood, Flying Saucers on Fishing Line. You can't go wrong with that. You just can't. I dare you to go wrong. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, honestly, I'm not sure who's going to be on. I've got a handful of recordings with various people that you've heard on other podcasts, including the late lamented Mail Order Zombie podcast. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, you will hear a familiar voice. I promise you that. I just haven't decided which one yet.
Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not extend to this song, Unforgettable Skull Deformation, which appears, by permission of the band, Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. See you next week. (laughs) 